It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Hello again, Bengals fans, and welcome again to an episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we finally get to that part of the week, James, when we got to talk Bengals in the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. If you have suffered through the last two days of Browns talk and Steelers talk, as some of you have pointed out in my mentions on Twitter, with James and I struggling to get an, a word in edgewise, well, uh, I don't know if today is going to be any better or not because it's still the rest of the AFC North guys giving us a hard time on, on the Bengals side of things. But at least today's episode is focused on the Bengals. And as we're recording this, James, at 7.30 Eastern time on July 15th, that means the deadline has come and gone for the Bengals to get something done with A.J. Green long term. And Derrick Henry has signed a $50 million four-year deal which has implications for the Bengals only insofar as that, I believe, in my opinion, sets a ceiling on Joe Mixon's future deal. So we'll talk about those two things to start the show and then get into that AFC North Ultimate Division crossover Bengals edition. But let's start with A.J. Green. A.J. Green has not signed an extended deal. James, he hasn't even signed his franchise tender yet, which means, as Paul Daner points out at The Athletic, that he can choose to not show up to camp. If he really wanted to play hardball, he could sit out all the way until week 10, then sign that franchise tender and still get credit for an accrued season and become a free agent. I don't think either of those things are on the table for AJ Green, but there is the question at this point of, will he sign that deal and show up to training camp if it happens on time? How frustrated is he right now? That's really the question because we know a couple months ago, he reached out to Joe Burrow they were talking about working out together. That There's been some dialogue there. We're not sure if he appeared in virtual meetings, and the Bengals have kept that pretty tight to the vest. But yeah, he does have some options. Uh, unfortunately, I think, or fortunately rather, I guess we'd say fortunately, if I'm A.J. Green and I haven't played in a year plus, and I'm trying to show the the world that I deserve a long-term deal, I would assume I'd want to get that training camp work in so I was ready for week one. You know, so missing all of camp, there probably isn't going to be a preseason. Missing all of camp, I don't know if that could be beneficial. So I do think that's working towards the Bengals and in the Bengals' favor. That, yeah, he could try to pull a Le'Veon Bell and, and wait till right before week one or wait till week 10 or any time in between there to sign that tender. At the same time, does that benefit him and put him in a position to succeed given how important this season is to him? I would say no. I think he's probably leaning no, but only time will tell if that's the case. Yeah, it'll be a difficult decision for Green between being cautious, trying to maintain health, not risking injury, 
but you're always risking injury in the NFL at some point in time. And getting those reps in could go a long way in establishing himself with his new quarterback. The other side of this, James, is from the Bengals' perspective. Does it make sense not to extend A.J. Green? And we have always said that from a purely team-building perspective, if you don't let emotions get into it at all, franchise-tagging A.J. Green makes a lot of sense from a Bengals' front office perspective. You're not committing money at this point to a wide receiver that turns 32 pretty soon, and you get one year while he's still near the peak of his athletic prime, and you're not committing funds that late 30s decline that's more of a cliff than it is a slope toward decline for most NFL receivers. It is, and it's certainly something that, you're right, you can make that argument. I'll play devil's advocate. Here's the the downside to not getting a long-term deal done now. If Green goes out there and plays well, the Bengals are going to want to keep him, right, because he's had success with Joe Burrow. Well, now you're paying, let's say it's a three-year deal, and instead of getting it done this offseason where it does feel like a gamble, you're taking a gamble on the back end of that three-year deal if you do it next offseason because you're paying for 33, 34, and 35-year-old A.J. Green. So this could work out for Green. It could work into a, basically a four-year deal because I think the Bengals were in that three-year range this offseason if they were going to do something. And obviously with COVID-19, I think that threw uh, a wrench into things. But if he makes $18 million this year, plays well, and then signs a three-year deal worth 56 to $60 million next offseason, that's going to play really well and, and really maximize Green's value. So the ball's in his court, and the Bengals could get burned if he plays well. At the same time, they're not committing money before they see him back on the field healthy, performing at a high level. And they've also just drafted T. Higgins. They have an opportunity that if John Roth goes out and stays healthy and plays well, they could make that the core of the wide receiver room in the future and move on from AJ Green, which isn't comfortable. But from a team building perspective, it could be the optimal play. Only time will tell. And this is going to be a weird season. So it might be difficult to make that call either way. Moving on, Derrick Henry gets $50 million over four years, $25.5 million guaranteed, which for all intents and purposes means you get two years, $25.5 million, and then we'll see. Is this a ceiling or a floor for Joe Mixon, in your opinion, James? It's certainly not the the floor. Um, I, I think that Joe Mixon, it, it's hard to argue that Joe Mixon is better than Derrick Henry. I think he's a more complete back. I think he can catch out of the backfield, but he hasn't been as productive. And the offense, the Bengals offense, doesn't revolve around Joe Mixon. At least it hasn't up until this point, like the Titans have had success putting everything into Derrick Henry. So this is another one where maybe the Bengals get a deal done this offseason or Joe Mixon shows that he's in that elite class of running backs, not a top 10 back, but a top two or three back and carries the Bengals offense this season. So time will tell, but it's certainly something that could impact Joe Mixon's market moving forward. Yeah, I think it absolutely impacts his market. You look at running back deals around the league. Ezekiel Elliott gets 15 million a year, 90 million total. 28 million fully guaranteed. And here's my favorite thing about running back contracts in the NFL today. When you really start to break them down, even Christian McCaffrey, who got 16 million per year on a $64 million deal, only got 30 million of those dollars fully guaranteed at the time of signing. Saquon Barkley's rookie deal, which was $31.1 million, is still the most fully guaranteed money of any running back in the NFL. Even today, After signing his extension, Derrick Henry, 
with $25.5 million fully guaranteed is behind Le'Veon Bell, who's on a second contract, Leonard Fournette's rookie deal, Ezekiel Elliott's second contract, Christian McCaffrey's second contract, and Saquon Barkley's rookie deal for fully guaranteed money. So how does this play in with Joe Mixon? Well, for one, I think it means you're not going to get more than $25 million fully guaranteed at signing. And two, I really do think, as I said in the open, that this is a ceiling for him, especially right now. Derrick Henry is a wildly productive running back who is, as you said, James, the focal point of the Tennessee Titans offense has essentially carried that team into the conference championship last year. They, they upset Baltimore in no small part because Derrick Henry was a man on a mission. I'm not saying Derrick Henry is going to be the exception to the running back rule and will be the guy that is suddenly worth the money because I don't think any of these guys necessarily are. But I do think that if Joe Mixon is somewhere around $12 million a year, that's a lot more tolerable than 15 or $16 million a year. And I really wonder how Mixon and his camp see this looking forward. And it really it solidifies. I, I've been on the, the four-year, $40 million range really all offseason because it would make him around the sixth highest paid running back in the game. Um, at the same time, and this came out earlier this week, and I think it's it's noteworthy. Now with Henry signed, the 2021 free agent class is pretty loaded, right? Yeah, Leonard Fournette, who was that first running back drafted uh, in Joe Mixon's class, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Philip Lindsay, Marlon Mack, Kenyon Drake, Todd Gurley. Like there are a lot of guys that are gonna, that are going to be free agents next offseason at, at the running back position, or at least set to get that there. So if I'm Joe Mixon's agent, I look at that. I look at the Bengals' willingness to get a deal done, which they've said multiple times this offseason. And this is the same agent Adam Jones had, by the way. So it's not like the Bengals haven't had a rapport with him. To me, you got to find a way to get something done because to, to give the peace of mind to Joe Mixon. Because what if he goes out there and he runs for under 1,000 yards or just over the 1,000-yard mark or he gets dinged up? Then suddenly it's a, a dinged up 24-year-old running back testing free agency with a bunch of other proven backs and a whole draft class of backs that is supposed to be pretty good at the running back position. So uh, to me, both sides want to get a deal done. And I think the Derrick Henry deal overall probably nudges that forward and pushes it forward versus the other way. Because now we're not talking about Christian McCaffrey, $16 million per season. We're talking about uh, a more reasonable number. And, and certainly something that I think realistically could get done this offseason. Yeah, and the, the nice thing about it for the Bengals is if they do it as an extension, some of that money comes into the current year uh, in terms of the cap. Some of that mm-hmm. signing bonus gets prorated to the current year. So you could say, we'll make it $12 million on average in new money, but from a cap perspective, we'll do it so that a lot of that signing bonus comes into this year. And so it ends up being $10 million a year on average, because some of that money comes back into this year. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but from a cap accounting perspective, from a when Joe Mixon gets paid perspective, it can work out where it ends up being about $10 million a year. And And it preserves their future flexibility with the unknown with COVID-19. Sorry if that's what you were going to say, but that's obviously the thing looming around over the NFL right now. Well, and even look at Derrick Henry's deal, right? Like he gets 25 and a half in in true guarantees at the time of signing. They're they're easy outs for the Titans in that deal. And Joe Mixon, any running back in the NFL at this point has to expect that you might not see the life of the deal. And the way you see the life of the deal is if you stay healthy and you stay producing at a high level. Otherwise, you're going to see that guarantee money and then you might get cut. 
And that's the sad reality of running backs in the NFL right now. And, and I hate it personally for the players. And, and I mentioned earlier that for the Bengals, it's probably a smart move not to extend AJ Green. But as a fan of the player, I still want to see AJ get paid. And he does get $18 million this year. So good for him. I'm not crying. I'm not losing any sleep over it. But I get where he's coming from. And it would be nice to see him get that stability too. But then again, like I said, from, from the team building perspective, I think this makes a lot of sense. And speaking of building things well, James, this episode brought to the people by Rock Auto. And if you need to rebuild any parts of your car, you're going to get the best parts at the best prices from rockauto.com. They carry parts for any kind of maker model that you might have. And they're going to beat the prices of those chain stores down the street. And not only that, you get to do the orders from your own home. Can't beat it, right? You can't because it's convenient. It is something... Instead of putting on the mask and driving down the street or walking, if you can't use your car because it needs to be fixed, uh, to the big box store and having someone type in a computer to try to find the part you need, you can do it yourself. You can shop uh, in your slippers from the comfort of your own home. They have over 300 different car makers. So it doesn't matter what you have. They're going to have it there. Honda, Kia, Daewoo. It doesn't. It literally doesn't matter. They'll have it. I promise. You go to rockauto.com. You won't be sorry. It's convenient. It's easy. And the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals as do-it-yourselfers. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in our how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Coming up next, we've got the Bengals edition of the ultimate crossover. So stick around and we'll start with Kevin from Locked On Ravens giving his take on where he sees the Bengals and then asking us a question. And then eventually we get to talk and defend ourselves and ask our opponents, are you scared of Joe Burrow? And uh, their answer probably won't surprise you. Coming up next, the finale of this week's AFC North ultimate crossover division focused on your own Cincinnati Bengals. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's keep things rolling here on Locked On Bengals with the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. Kevin from Locked On Ravens starts us off with his thoughts on your Cincinnati Bengals. This is a team that I think is really well set up for the future. I don't know if 2020 is going to be their year, though. Obviously, the top overall pick in the 2020 draft in Joe Burrow Literally the best season in college football history, in my opinion. And, you know, you can't get much better than that when you're looking for a guy to take to be the future of your franchise. Now, someone who I'm looking at as an X factor for this team is Joe Mixon, someone who had a really strong 2019, right? 1,137 yards and five scores on the ground. 
But actually, where I'm impressed with Cincinnati and their depth is in their receiving core. They AJ Green wasn't enough, right? He's coming back healthy. He should be a big boost. Tyler Boyd had a thousand yards last season. You have guys like Auden Tate, whose coming out party was against the Ravens. But you also then add in T. Higgins to a room that also includes John Ross. I mean, so many guys that you have in this receiving room. And, you know, you want to surround your rookie quarterback with some talent, you know, some guys to catch the football. Well, I think they've done just that. Now, Tyler Eifert, had he stayed healthy, could have been a good guy for them. Obviously, he's gone in Jacksonville. But this offense is might surprise some people in 2020 because, you know, for me, the Bengals, they can't go anywhere but up for me. The defense, they added a former Raven in Josh Bynes. But they actually, you know, their offseason, their free agency, Usually the Bengals are kind of regarded as a team that doesn't really do a lot when it comes to free agency. And it was that way for the beginning of this free agency period in 2020. It was kind of, you know, the the Patrick poking the stick at a rock saying, you know, do something. But finally, the Bengals get out there and they really spend a lot of money. They go out and get one of the best nose tackles in DJ Reader. Trey Waynes, they signed to a big deal. You know, franchise tagging AJ Green. But my question for you, you, Jake, and, and I'll take it back to the free agency signings. There are two contracts that I'm very interested in. One of them is the addition of Josh Bynes and his, his fit in this Cincinnati defense. He played very, very well for Baltimore after he was signed literally off the street. And it was after that Cleveland game in week four that Baltimore said, we need to change. How does Josh Bynes fit in there on that defense? And also the decision to give Trey Waynes, who is not officially signed yet, he's made that pretty public, mm-hmm. a three-year, $42 million contract, the same deal that Marcus Peters, who performed very well for Baltimore, got from the Ravens. How did you like that deal? So my two questions are for Josh Bynes and Trey Waynes. Yeah, let's start with Josh Bynes. He's a guy that last year when the Ravens signed him, I didn't pay any attention to it, right? And then suddenly the Ravens defense started playing better and was uh, finished the year as a pretty good unit. At the beginning of the year, the Ravens defense wasn't very good. And I think I did want, maybe I didn't do any of the crossovers, but leading into one of the Baltimore games last year, I said, you know who's made a difference for Baltimore? And obviously they acquired Marcus Peters as well, but I thought Josh Bynes, that, that, that signaled a big turning point. And maybe it's other, you know, multiple incidences coming together at one time. The cumulative effect is a, a positive impact. But that's what the Bengals are looking for from, from Josh Bynes is stability. They signed him before they go draft three linebackers, right? Before they go use their third, fourth, and sixth, no, sorry, seventh round pick on three different linebackers. By the way, correctly mocked Logan Wilson to the Bengals in the third round. Everyone Saw that coming. I'll pat myself on the back for that one. And then I thought Akeem Davis-Gaither was off the table. He ends up a Bengal anyway. So there are your linebackers of the future. But what they're looking for from Bynes is a veteran presence, the leadership, the run stopping, the tackling, and just knowing how to play adequate NFL linebacker. The Bengals haven't had adequate NFL linebacker in years. And Bengals fans listening right now are going to say, what about Vontaze Perfect? Yeah, there were times that Vontez Perfect was a very good NFL linebacker, but he also got in trouble with penalties that hurt the team quite a bit. And toward the end of his career in Cincinnati, was really freelancing quite a bit, doing whatever the hell he wanted to do. The other guy you asked about is Trey Waynes, and I agree with you or, or the implication of your question. It's not a good deal. They paid him a little bit too much. Well, maybe a lot too much money. That money could have been used a little bit better elsewhere. You compare his deal, actually what I've done, and you make a good point with Marcus Peters, is you compare his deal to what Byron Jones got in Miami, it's only a couple more million dollars a year for a player that has was much more sought after, has a much better track record. So 
Trey Waynes comes in and is essentially going to be asked to be a better version of Drake Kirkpatrick. He should tackle better. He's faster, but he's similarly stiff. He's similarly a little bit handsy. He's, he's younger. So there are some specific things he does better than Dre. He brings a speed that should help a little bit with keeping things in front of him, and he tackles. And that's the theme of the Bengals offseason is tackling. DJ Reader coming in to help the front seven. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander, right, to play the slot. Uh, another guy that's a really strong run defender to replace Darquez Denard. And Trey Wayne's another guy who was, he, he likes to hit, and you don't find that very often in the secondary. So specific things they upgraded with those players while maybe side grading in some ways overall with Trey Wayne's. So I wanted to ask a question about the offensive line, because when it comes to the Bengals last year in facing the Steelers, they gave up 12 sacks over two games. Now, granted, <laughs> you know, there was, there's there a lot of going on that they were, they were in shambles in a lot of ways, but now you've got Joe Burrow. Uh, you got Jonah Williams c- coming back, presumably. Um, where do you th- see the offensive line heading into this season? Because you, having having Joe Burrow is exciting. Everyone's everyone everyone's want, you know wants to see what he's got. But if he's under constant pressure, there's going to be a lot of questions as how 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 is he going to take on the NFL and how fast the game starts moving for him. Not even just with the Steelers, but you know like like what we've been talking about. You got Miles Garrett with the Browns. You've got uh, Calais Campbell now with the Ravens. There's going to be guys coming down, uh, coming down, uh, you know, in the pass rush. And you know, I got to ask, where do you think the Bengals have been fortifying? And are they going to be ready off for an offensive line to protect uh, Burrow throughout the season? It's where they failed this offseason. It's a failure, what, what they've done. And look, the coaching staff will defend it and the Bengals front office feels better about it. But the reality is, is they have question marks all across their projected starting offensive line. It's just, it's the reality. Jonah Williams, a guy they picked 11th overall last year, they feel really, really good about him. He hasn't even played in a training camp. Heck, not even an NFL game. He hasn't even went through an entire training camp because he got injured in minicamp last year. So now you're expecting him to be a franchise left tackle against some of those guys you named and protect protect, uh, protect Joe Burrow's blindside. It's, it's a tough ask for a guy like Jonah. And then uh, you move to that left guard position and Michael Jordan, and, and he's a, a fourth-round pick from last season. And, and they liked what he developed into, and he's a young guy, and they, they feel good about where he's moving, but he's still unproven. So it's just it's another question mark, and that's what it is across the, the offensive line from Xavier Suofilo, who couldn't start in Dallas, they sign him. They feel really good about him. Now he's suddenly uh, potentially going to be the starting right guard. And and then you got the, the right tackle position. And we all know what Bobby Hart is. He's just a guy at best. Uh, Fred Johnson could compete with him. Same with Akeem Adeniji, a sixth-round pick. But it's just a bunch of guys. And the Bengals coaching staff feels good about it. And, and I'm on board with maybe one question mark, right? Like banking on Jonah Williams to be the left tackle of the future and, and be good enough and competent in 2020. I'm I'm okay with banking on Michael Jordan to take a step forward. It's hard to see and, and expect Jonah Williams to be good, Michael Jordan to take a step forward, Xavier Suofilo to be better than he's been over the past six years of his NFL career, and then one of these guys at right tackle to emerge. So it's the fly in the ointment. It, it's the one thing that I wish, and you guys talked about that Trey Wayne's deal, if they could have, instead of d- done that, taken those assets 
and saved on corner and put him towards the offensive line. And, and heck, maybe between now and camp, I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe they go out and get someone. I would. You need another established veteran that isn't a question mark that can answer uh, the bell here up front for the Bengals. And, and if they don't do that, it's not just Joe Burrow. I think it's going to hurt Zach Taylor. I think it's going to hurt this offense. And it's uh, it's really going to make it tough to see what you have here because you have a, a lot of offensive weapons. You've upgraded the defense, but you're in a tough division. And if you can't block up front, it's it's going to be hard to, to see what Zach Taylor is as a play caller or what Burrow can evolve into as a quarterback. No, and I, I totally get where you're uh, coming from. And, uh, you know, obviously, James, with, you know, why you were away, uh, you know, Jake and I, and uh, Jake and Joe and I talked about this. You know, when you were one of these franchises, whether it was the Browns and the Bengals, uh, on the toughest of times, even if you have the money, it's hard to convince people to come here. You've got to, you know, there's got to be some selling point. You got to pretty the place up before these guys come in. But, Jake, I do have a question for you here, and I will go into this. Guys, you know, we've talked about this, you know, whether it's the Browns with no hope and the Bengals, obviously, with a rush, rough stretch. Once you start to see that light, you get reinvigorated and you get excited to see, you know, where this could potentially lead to. But I do have this question with offensive line concerns and maybe, you know, the, the state of the NFL. And Doug Farrar put out a piece about this the other day, you know, where NFL defenses are paying nickel over 60 percent of the time. Dime is almost played more than base. I have no problem with Owen Wilson. I have no problem with Gaither. I have no problem with Marcus Bailey. But how is this trending? I mean, you know, Jake, it's, you know, it's nickel dime is usually the predominant on the defensive side of the ball here in the NFL in 2020. Why three linebackers? I understand the linebacker play was poor. And, you know, we all agree it was bad for a while there. But why the three? It, It just seems like it was almost like, you know, maybe one too many, if not two too many in this era of football now where it's so nickel and dime prevalent. I was critical of the choice to take three linebackers as well. In fact, it was the thing that I was the most critical about in their draft, and I downgraded the pick of Akeem Davis-Gaither, who is a prospect I really liked because yep, they I took remember. a second consecutive linebacker. I, I liked both. I liked two. I liked all three of the linebackers they picked. Taking Marcus Bailey in the seventh round is a guy that had second or third round tape, depending on who you ask, and had injuries. That's a lottery ticket. They did it last year with Rodney Anderson at running back. They didn't need a running back, but I love it. I love lottery tickets in the sixth, seventh round. It's great. Fine. Whatever. I I think that the one saving grace here might be that I'm not sure if Hakeem Davis-Gaither is really an NFL linebacker. I think they're going to use him in a lot of NFL linebacker linemen, but you go back and you watch him at Appalachian State, he's playing a position that doesn't exist in the NFL. He's playing this overhang linebacker position that is an alignment that just does not exist in the, in the NFL. So it'll be really interesting to me to see how they deploy Akeem Davis-Gaither. There was certainly a point when I would have liked to have seen them gone in another direction, uh, go offensive line a little bit earlier than the sixth round instead of Hakeem Adeniji, for example. But they didn't. And so uh, to your point, why did they do it? Honestly, it's a simple answer. And I think it's that they play in a division with Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore offense. And uh, they want to have the speed and the tackling and the run-stopping prowess to deal with it. And uh, that's just the the reality they live in. And we'll see if that's too short-sighted. Coming up next, we're going to give James a minute to frame the Bengals' outlook in the division. 
And then we'll ask some questions in the other direction as we have all week. So stay tuned for the wrap-up for the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's keep things rolling here on the Locked On AFC North crossover. Final segment, fellas. Buckle up. Uh, Just a a second here on the Bengals because I was pretty critical of the offensive line. And and while... um, it's it's easy to do that, and I think everyone is, and I think most fans are are pessimistic about the Bengals in the trenches. I'm pretty pleased with the, what they've done this offseason. They, they've shored up a lot of weaknesses on what was arguably the league's worst defense last year. Yeah, they might have paid overpaid for Trey Waynes a bit, but they also got Von Bell at, at a, what I think is a, a pretty reasonable price. I think he's going to help the defense. DJ Reader, certainly a guy who should make an impact in the AFC North. And then I, I look at these weapons, and everyone knows if you're a Bengals fan that I'm still in the John Ross bandwagon and a healthy A.J. Green and Ross together. They've only played nine games together. So I think if they can stay healthy this year, you combine that with Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, who a year from now, Jeff, don't even chime in here, might be the best running back in the AFC North. I think they have the weapons here. So if they can be competent up front, I feel like it's 2016 all over again. If the Bengals can be competent up front on the offensive line, I think they can be competitive with any of the teams in the division. It wouldn't shock me at all if they won six or seven games. Uh, The the two flies in the ointment are the offensive line to me and then two, the coronavirus pandemic, which every team is dealing with, but not every team has the number one overall pick coming in at quarterback and uh, a bunch of turnover on the roster like the Bengals have. So those are the two negatives there, uh, and then obviously a tough division. Ke- Kevin, I'll start with you. Obviously the the Ravens beat up on, <laughs> on the Bengals a lot last year. When you look at this revamped roster, do you think they – Do you think they can be competitive? Because I think they can be competitive with any of the teams in this division. Like, it wouldn't shock me at all if they went into M&T Bank Stadium and either won or lost 20-17 to this fall. Do you think that's realistic, or do you think I'm insane? Well, I think you're a little of both, and and I'll explain why. I think for, for for the most part, when you look at the Cincinnati team, the first game these two teams played in 2019, the Bengals actually gave them a little bit of a run for their money at first. And then you look forward and look ahead to the game where the Ravens went to Cincinnati, that game was a little more of, okay, the Ravens are a 7-2 and two team at that point. The Bengals are 0-9. You look at the Bengals' improvements. I, th- I think they did the right thing in spending this money throughout the offseason. Again, a team that relatively didn't spend a lot over the last few years. They improved. And, you know, at the, at the forefront of that, I'm not looking at DJ Reader. I'm, I'm looking at Josh Bynes. Again, that's maybe a little Ravens bias there. But I think it really helped this defense where I think – the Ravens are going to have the advantage over the Bengals and what's really going to turn the tides of these games is two things. And, and they go pretty hand in hand. You know, we everybody on this episode has been pretty critical of the Bengals offensive line. You know, that's the same thing that I'm looking at here. The Ravens did not have a very good pass rush 
in 2019. They did not have interior pressure whatsoever. It seemed like the Ravens had to send five or six guys to even get a glimpse of, of the quarterback or get a glimpse of, you know, seeing the quarterback go down. The Bengals, you know, maybe Jonah Williams is the next big thing, but I think you made some good points in the fact that you're expecting him to be this franchise left tackle. You know, he didn't, he hasn't done anything yet. The Ravens add Calais Campbell, they add Derek Wolf. Those are two guys who I think make a huge difference because not only are they very good at stopping the run, which is really important when there's a running back in Joe Mixon who's on the other side of the field. But when you look at, you know, the Ravens and their history with rookie quarterbacks, you know, Baker. Baker Mayfield has had some success against them, but, you know, they shut down Kyler Murray. They shut down Josh Allen. They shut down Sam Darnold. The rookie second-year guys, the Ravens have a field day with those guys because their defensive scheme is so eloquent, so exotic. With the Ravens' new blitzing schemes and, you know, all the things they're going to do to make this defense really complicated for a rookie in Joe Burrow— him getting pressured by this Ravens defensive front is not going to make it any easier when you have a secondary with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith, Earl Thomas, Chuck Clark. You know, it's really a pick-your-poison thing. So I think the Bengals could theoretically be competitive with the Ravens, but I do think the Ravens win both of these games against Cincinnati, and I think it's relatively because of the offensive line is still a pretty big weakness for the Bengals at this point. So I know Joe Burrow's a rookie, but let us you didn't say his name once, so... Uh, let's go to Chris and the Bengals have had quarterbacks that have wilted against Pittsburgh for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Carson had a few games, a few years where he handled Pittsburgh pretty well. I don't think Andy Dalton ever did. And I think that maybe some of that is because of what coincided with Andy Dalton's time in Cincinnati. That rivalry really came to a head in those years. And as I mentioned a couple days ago during the Pittsburgh episode, one thing I'm excited for this year is hopefully we get back to just football in this rivalry a little bit. Do you see Joe Burrow as a threat? Talk about how you feel as a division rival seeing Joe Burrow go to Cincinnati or do you not buy the hype? Do you think he still has a lot to prove? Do you, do you lean the other way, uh, leaning into the one-year wonder kind of arguments or what have you? Where do you fall? So I think that Joe Burrow could be very good if he has the system around him with the playmakers like we saw at LSU. What a lot of people are, are overlooking when talking about the hype of, of Joe Burrow and also when, when, you know, when uh, as Kevin alluded to that he had the best, maybe the best college football season of all time, LSU's talent was just so far and above everyone else's at almost every position. I love their their offensive line, their wide receivers, their, you know, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, their defense, everything about them was just, I mean, they were the best team in football. And Joe Burrow was, was amazing with that. But, and Joe Burrow, I think he admitted, I think he's only, what, lost like two games in the history of his life of anything in football. And I think that that, you know, that leads to like, you know, okay, this guy, this guy's confident. He believes in himself. I think that it eventually Joe Burrow will get to that point. I am not so certain how he's going to handle when he has, when he is dock, ducking, dodging, dipping and diving and dodging again, when he's going to be dealing with pressure this year. And I do think that's going to be a problem. Um, I think that he's going to make plays this year. I think we're going to see really exciting moments from him, but I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not hiding in my closet from Joe Burrow just yet, because I think that he's got, he's going to have a lot of work to have to do, to, to build up that chemistry. I also really think it's unfortunate, like you were alluding to earlier, um, that he's not getting uh, the, the rookie camp, the mini camp, the training camp to, to get every, to get as prepared as he can for this season and to get chemistry with his teammates. That's going to be a problem. But I will say this, 
Um, and uh, we do have to see it post Marvin Lewis era. But the Bengals have consistently over the past 10 years, 15 years, even 20 years, they've been, the, they've been consistently the third best team in the division. It's been the Steelers and the Ravens back and forth, and then occasionally the Bengals poke their head up and make, make the playoffs and even win the division a couple times. You know, they're not the Browns who have – they have fewer wins at Heinz Field than about 13 different high school football teams in Pittsburgh. Uh, but with the Bengals, it's like I do think that there's a chance that they could get good again with Joe Burrow. Um, but, you know, I, I just – right now, to answer your question, no, I'm not terrified of him. But, I mean, again, I la- I love Tyler Boyd. I mean, he, he's from Clareton. You know, Western Pennsylvania lo- loves that dude. I've always had a lot of respect for A.J. Green. I really like Joe Mixon as a player. I, you know, I said coming out of college, even with the problems that he had with hitting women, um, I, I thought that was like if that guy gets into, gets into a team with an offensive line or with a team – that can, that can just give him the ball and let him go, I think he's going to be dangerous. Uh, the, the, there's talent there. I just think that they're going to need an offensive line, time to gel, and maybe in another year or two, then we're talking about, okay, it's Joe Burrow week. But right now, I honestly, I'm not I'm not too scared of Joe Burrow just yet uh, because I think he's, he's going to have a serious adjustment period in 2020. I think there's a, it's almost realistic to think that a year from now you're thinking that because – the, the way Burrow manipulated the pocket at LSU, it's not like the LSU offensive line was great, right? I mean, there were plenty of times where Burrow had to step up and move around and use his athleticism. So that, that is the other thing. Andy Dalton was a statue and couldn't move on the fly and anything like that. So over the past four years, he struggled behind this line. Uh, and now it should be a little better, at least, even though I trashed it earlier. Uh, and then you mix in Burrow. <laughs> so I, I think I think they should make more big plays uh, certainly this year uh, at Paul Brown Stadium. But uh, let's close things out with uh, the Battle of Ohio. And, Jeff, uh, the the thing that I love about this is in, I love Baker Mayfield coming out. I, I don't hide from that. And uh, he's a, an outspoken quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, goes number one overall, trying to do uh, something no one's been able to do over the past couple decades and revitalize the Cleveland Browns. And then you have Joe Burrow, the Ohio kid, same thing. Number one pick, wins a national championship, Heisman Trophy winner. I think there's going to be a Baker-Burrow rivalry. I love that they're playing on Thursday night in week two. I think the Battle of Ohio, for the first time in my lifetime, because it hasn't really been relevant since the 80s, I think it's going to be relevant, and I think it's going to matter in the 2020s. Um, well, the 2020 is going further and, um, you know, Chris, Kevin, we heard everything you said. Um, but I, I think what you look at with the Cincinnati Bengals and you look at with the Cleveland Browns, um, and the Browns, the draft class that was there for 2018, all the quarterbacks were available. It was, what are you going to put these kids into? And obviously with a lot of underclassmen and similar to Joe Burrow, you're taking in, you know, Joe Burrow's not a kid. He's a man going into the Cincinnati situation. Very similar to what Baker Mayfield was at t- almost 23 years old. Joe Burrow the same way. They, it's you know, look. I mean, we chose you because of this. We chose you because you're older. We chose you because you maybe understand the situation of our franchises, which you know aren't great. But look, you're going to get paid five years. You're going to get paid a boatload of money. And if these franchises achieve success. It's going to be bestowed upon you, Joe Burrow. It's going to be bestowed upon you, Baker Mayfield. You're putting them in tough situations, you know, because obviously when you get drafted one overall as a quarterback, you're not going to a plum situation. That does not happen. But it's the cut of the jib. It's the type of guys they are, you know. And, you know, Joe gives me, and I said it through the draft process, he gives me the 
modern day Tony Romo, where there's enough athleticism, there's enough smarts, and every now and then there's a throw. It's like, well, how'd you even throw that? How'd you even complete it? I, I do agree with you. Um, I think that there is a resurgence here in the AFC North with the reigning MVP down in Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, to his credit, you know, Joe Burrow has never not tasted success. Baker Mayfield, you know, he was 7-7 seven and seven as a rookie, one overall, going to an 0-16 team. Neither one of these guys have not really ever felt success so how do you grad you know move forward here and grow in and establish yourself in this league and i believe they all have the follow me i'll put it on me if it's not me then guess what they'll replace me but i i think cincinnati's in great hands and look you're not going to replenish the entire farm in one off season although cincinnati did a fantastic job you know, Cleveland, hopefully they've righted the ship from leadership probably down more than anything else. You know, Baltimore is here to stay. We'll see, you know, what Pittsburgh's, you know, got left here in this party. But this division as a whole, and it's great that there's now seven playoff teams per conference because, you know, you look at the AFC East where Tom is now exited. Maybe that's only going to be one team. AFC West, obviously. The South, I mean, they're going to, you know, war contrition. But it feels like the playing field is starting is much more leveled out in the AFC North through where we were seven months ago to where we are now. I mean, some dominoes are going to have to fall for teams to succeed or for teams to fail. But I, I do believe the playing field on a whole is a lot more level than it was. Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot and we're up against it. Burrow, Baker, next decade. Who are you taking? <laughs> I'll take six. <laughs> you hesitated. You he hesitated. Only reason why is the line should now be intact. And now let's see where, you know, let's just see where Joe's at after a year where, you know, TJ Watts coming unblocked and up in the year grill. I mean, I watched Chris Hubbard get abused by a guy like TJ Watt. Bobby Hart, TJ Watt. Come on, guys. You can't be that confident. In- Browns fans, did you hear him hesitate? You know the answer. Did you ever see Joe Burrow just, get hit and then win every game after he got hit? That one time that that ha- okay, we'll see if that happens. Show again. me seven. Show me seven and seven as a rookie. Show me seven and seven as a rookie. Seven and seven as a rookie. Six and ten as a sophomore. I'm I'm going to be a lot more interested in Joe Burrow's second season when he had a team of all stars around him, a hand pick coach that only Baker wanted. I mean, we're not going to have any of that because we don't have a prima donna in Joe Burrow. James, any closing thoughts as we wrap up this AFC North division crossover week? You heard the host of locked on Browns hesitate. And then what he said when it came to Burrow and Baker is because of the offensive line, dude, he's shaken, man. I mean, that's it. it, Look, the reality is, is uh, most people would take Joe Burrow over Baker Mayfield He's bigger. He's more athletic. He stayed in shape. He he's less uh, less of a distraction. Less cocky. He's more responsible and mature. Might not have as strong as an arm as Baker, but all the other stuff, he checks those boxes. So feel pretty good, Bengals fans, about the Battle of Ohio. I think that rivalry is coming back. By the way. So that will do it for this locked on AFC North crossover event. Everyone listening to this podcast right now, I'm sure 
is taking Joe Burrow over Baker Mayfield. And that's why we appreciate you so much because you're smart and you do the right thing when you're asked between Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow. Tomorrow, Bengals fans, we're back with the mailbag. Until then, who day and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.